Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Yeah, let me get settled here. Yeah, so if you're uh, visiting with us um, or new around here uh, and and have never seen my face, uh, my name's Billy, and I get the privilege to serve as the pastor of discipleship here at Church of the Nazarene um, here in Harrisonburg. And so I'm just uh, honored to open up God's Word with you today. Um, if you have been around, uh, you know that the last few times that I've been up here, uh, the sermons have went a little longer than typical sermons go here. And so I've worked really hard today to get you out of here by lunchtime. So um, just bear with me, and it'll be good. Anyway, welcome back. Um, welcome back. Uh, we're in the second week of our new series, What We Believe, the Nazarene Articles of Faith. And so just a little... Uh, background about what this series is all about. Uh, In the Church of the Nazarene, we have 16 articles of faith, and so we're taking four weeks, beginning last week, to unpack a few of those, to unpack them, um, what it means to be a part of the Church of the Nazarene, what we believe. Um, These are our theological doctrines that kind of guide us based upon Scripture. And so um, this is week two. If you missed last week, Um, I'm going to review that quickly. Last week we began with our article um, talking about what we believe about Jesus Christ. That seems like a good place to start, right, Uh, with Jesus um, if we are going to be the church. And I don't want to assume this, so I want to clarify uh, that Christ is not actually Jesus' last name. Some of you are like, I knew that, and some of you just had your mind blown. Christ is not actually part of his technical name. He is the Christ, Jesus the Christ, but it's not part of his name anyway. This is what we believe about Jesus. We believe Jesus um, is the second person of the triune Godhead. So we believe that God is Trinity, that he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, One God in three persons, and Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. We believe that he was eternally one with the Father since the beginning of time. We believe that he became incarnate, that he was embodied in the flesh through the Holy Spirit. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, right? Christmas time is coming. Anyone else put up their tree the day before Halloween? Just our family, okay. Um, you can judge me, that's all right. Uh, we believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and that he was perfectly and holy God and man, completely God and completely man, that he was and is the God man. And so the rest of what we confess about Jesus is going to be intertwined with what we are looking at today, and today we're talking about grace, specifically what we define in the Church of the Nazarene as provenient grace. And it's not a Nazarene doctrine, it's biblical doctrine, but it's called provenient grace. And a quick definition is this is the grace of God that comes before human efforts, before human response. It's the grace that prepares Provenient grace, and so we're going to unpack that today. But I have a practical illustration here just to kind of give you a visual of what provenient grace looks like before we begin to unpack it. And I told someone I was going to use this, and, and they said, I don't know, you might not want to do that. You might get uh, docked for interfering with justice. But I Googled it, 
I think I'm good according to free speech laws, and so um, I'm going to go with it today. And so, so here's the illustration, and this really happened. Um, I was driving uh, down Boyer's Road, you know, heading um, that way from Port Republic, heading towards 33, and um, right up here by the, the church that sits up here, kind of on the hill, there was a cop facing that way, and um, I stopped and I kept going, but he was going to get someone coming that way, coming this direction, and so I did what all good, gracious citizens do as cars were coming my way. I just offered them a little. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what is he doing with a flashlight? I was, giving them, I was giving them the flashers, the warning, right? I was offering them grace before they ever got to where that cop was parked. I, I, was, I, was, I was offering them grace that went before them so that they wouldn't come to that moment and receive the consequences for their breaking of the law, right? And so I was offering them a little bit of grace. And you know what the funny thing is when we do that? Uh, the funny thing that I've noticed is that there's some people who immediately I see their brake lights go on, and I'm like, they, they got it. They're responding positively to the grace that's going before them, right? And then there's some people who, as I'm doing it, I can see their eyes, and they're, they're looking at their phone. And I'm thinking, oh, well, good luck. And then there's some people who just, they're just locked in and, and they're, they're distracted, whatever it is that's consuming their thoughts. They don't see, they don't, they don't respond to the grace that's been given to them and they continue barreling down the road, uh, going to receive the consequences for their disobedience of breaking the law. So that's a practical illustration. It's grace that's gone before any human effort, any response, grace that is to prepare that is what prevenient grace is. And so we're going to unpack it biblically today. And listen, we don't, we don't need and believe and preach passionately about prevenient grace because there's been a, a cultural shift to post-modernity and all-out uh, rejection of the true Christian faith in our culture. That's not why we're passionate about this, although that is the nature of our world today. We desperately need God's provision and his prevenient grace today because when our ancestors, Adam and Eve, our ancestors, back in the beginning of this book, of God's word, in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when they, when they disobeyed God, there wasn't a cultural shift. There was a cosmic shift that took place. Ever since they bought the lie in the garden when God said, you can eat of all the trees except one or you will die. Ever since they bought the lie of the enemy that said, you will not surely die. You won't surely die if you disobey God. Ever since that moment, all of humanity has been infected by sin and death. Yes, physical death and spiritual death. Making every one of us depraved and unable to move towards God without him first moving towards us. And today, the reality is the enemy, that same enemy that found them in the garden, whispers to those who are dead in their sin, you are not surely dead. God's word does not really mean that. But in the holiness tradition, in the holiness tradition, that, that is what the church of the Nazarene is part of, the holiness tradition. And you're going to hear more about holiness next week. But in the holiness tradition, the Adamic sin, the sin from Adam, right, that's what we call it, is also called original sin. It refers to the condition of sin that is found in all of mankind as a result of the original man's act of sin in Genesis 3. 
Because of this intrusion of sin, the image of God in man was corrupted, it was polluted, it was broken, but it was not destroyed. And since it was not destroyed, the possibility of redemption as well as the restoration of the image of God in man existed. The problem however, was that because of sin, man was guilty before God and in need of being justified before their creator. And you see, the central, the central question throughout the Bible is how can sinful humanity, how can you and I and everyone we love and know, how can we, a sinful humanity, be reconciled to a holy God? And the Bible says that sin Sin is a barrier that separates us from that relationship with God. And in Genesis 3, man was able to erect this barrier. We were able to erect this barrier and condition we find ourselves in by our own willful act of disobedience. However, we have not found a way to break it down on our own. What was needed was an act of God to enable us we're talking about provenient grace today, to enable us to have an urge or desire for God and for us to be set free from the bondage of sin that separates us from a holy God that is our creator. And so this initiative, as we've said, on the part of God, this initiative on God's part to enable us to even respond is God's provenient grace, meaning grace, as we said, that comes before our human efforts, before our response, uh, grace that prepares us to respond. And this belief, before we unpack it biblically, this belief based upon the scriptures sets Christianity apart from other world religions. And this is going to help some of you uh, someday, maybe. Christianity says, the word of God says, God has moved first towards us and he longs, he longs for us to respond to him. The other world religions say we must move first towards God or the gods and hopefully they will respond graciously to our efforts. You see the difference? That's the difference between Christianity and other world religions. Our God has moved first towards us. John Wesley, kind of our forefather of our theological doctrine, he outlines this grace in three ways. It is enabling. Provenient grace is enabling. It enables us to cooperate with God and respond to him in faith. This grace that we are talking about today is universal. We believe it is available to all people not just to an elect few who God has specifically chosen. We believe that God provides this grace to all people to respond to him in faith. Second Peter, uh, he wrote this in verse nine. He said, instead, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We believe that this grace that goes out, that prepares, is available to all people. However, the third thing that Wesley outlined was we believe that it is resistible. Versus irresistible. This is straight from our article seven of Provenient Grace in our articles in the Church of the Nazarene. We believe that being created in God's image, we have the ability to choose between right and wrong, and that makes human beings morally responsible. That gives us moral responsibility. And so let's look at God's word today. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two for our primary text here. Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna look at the first five verses the first five verses and see what God's word has to say about this, why this provenient grace is necessary 
and why we need it. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and it says this. This is the word of the Lord. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. As for you, as for you, me, we were dead in our transgressions and sin. The Greek words used there for transgressions and sins describe the evil that controls and characterizes human life apart from God. And they are both the cause of death and the evidence of death in someone's life. And so Paul begins here in chapter 2 as he's writing to this church in Ephesus, this church of Gentiles. Those are people who are outside of the Jewish faith, and so that would include us. He's writing this word, and he is building an argument for our hopeless condition. So hold on. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the mindset, the customs, the practices of the world in which you live, you were dead in your sins when you followed those ways and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And so our doom looked to be sealed because both the external environment right? The world in which we live, the kingdom of the air, and our internal motivation and attitude were under the thumb of the enemy. Grace given to each one of us are the riches of God at the expense of Christ. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, verse 5, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Do you all see that? Paul's, Paul's using a metaphor here. He's saying even when we were dead in transgressions. So if we're not alive in Jesus, we are dead in our sin. And his use of death is significant because it allows for no middle ground in our life. There is no middle ground. Either a person is dead in sin or they are alive in Christ Jesus. And so just as a dead body does not respond to stimuli, the spiritually dead person cannot respond to spiritual stimuli unless enabled to do so, and only God provides this ability through his provenient grace. And look at the last part of verse 5. It is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace that you've been saved. Paul writes in Romans In Romans chapter 5, he he highlights this. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, You see at just the right time when we were still powerless, when you and I could do nothing on our own, Christ died for the ungodly. And he reiterates himself two verses later in verse 8. He says, But God demonstrates, there it is again, but God, right? Good news is usually following that. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see that? We weren't, even, we weren't even acknowledging God. And yet because of his great mercy and kindness, he died for us. You see, the reality is God's provenient grace has been and is engaged in fashioning and molding and preparing your heart to be moved by the good news about Jesus, to be inclined towards God's desire for you, to be convicted of sin in your life and awaken to your desperate and dire need for a Savior and Lord outside of yourself. You cannot save yourself or anyone else. 
a little bit further back in Romans chapter 2, and I have this verse on the screen. Paul writes this. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, not realizing that God's kindness, his grace is intended to lead you to repentance. What is repentance? It's sincere regret and remorse for the sin that's present in our lives. God's kindness. So first comes God's kindness, his merciful grace, and then comes our response to that grace if we make the choice. And that response is repentance. You see, God's law, God's law doesn't lead us to repentance. God's justice doesn't lead us to repentance. The word of God says his kindness, his grace, in light of us being spiritually dead and unable to do anything on our own power. That's what leads us to repentance. Repentance is our response to this grace that has gone before us because his grace shows us our condition and desperate need to be rescued and made new. In the church of the Nazarene, it's not uncommon to hear Wesleyans, right? Yes, John Wesley's our forefather, so sometimes we pick up that name, Wesleyans. Um, It's not uncommon to hear uh, Wesleyans discuss free will in such a way as to suggest that we can simply choose to be saved, that on our own power we can choose to be saved. But you see, John Wesley denied this view of natural free will, yet he believed that there is a measure of free will supernaturally restored to every man, right? We believe this grace is universal. It's not selective. And the restoration by God's provenient grace allows you and I to cooperate with that grace. It enables us to do so, to move to repentance and justification and regeneration, to be saved and made new, and sanctification and ultimately glorification one day. Writer John Arnold wrote this. He said, Wesleyans, that would include us, are utterly pessimistic about human nature and outrageously optimistic about God's grace. We must never confuse the two. Optimism about grace is not optimism about man. Without God's grace, we are helpless to make any move towards God. Any desire or ability to do what is right comes from God as a free gift. From beginning to end, the Wesleyan watchword is grace, grace, grace. Nothing is man-centered. God gets all the glory for our salvation. Somebody ought to say amen. And you see, in the passage, we didn't go there. In Ephesians 2, Paul, for emphasis, Paul loves to do this. For emphasis, in verse 8, he repeats himself again. He says a few more things, and then in verse 8, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, just in case they didn't get it the first time, a few verses earlier. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith in what? In Jesus as God's condition for your salvation. The power to believe is God-given, but you and I must use that God-given power or it is of no effect in our lives. It's not enough to acknowledge that it's there. We must respond to it. We must respond to it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to invite them to come back up. The bottom line for us today 
and we're not there yet, but we're moving to close. The bottom line for us today is this. By grace, you are saved through faith because God sought you first. That's why. Not by works so that no one can boast, not by your good efforts, not because you've grown up in church, not because you try to be a really good person and give to those people when you can. By grace, you are saved through faith in Jesus because God sought you and I first. That's the good news of his grace today. Because one of the greatest truths that can be known is that God himself, God your creator, is pursuing you even now. A teacher in the Church of the Nazarene, he says this about God's grace. He says God's grace is not a substance or a divine accumulation. It is God acting. It's God being himself. Grace is God coming towards us towards his creation as faithful creator and redeemer. God's grace is God being who God is. Old Testament, some of us say, well, Old Testament God was angry, and he, here's what God says of himself in Exodus 34. He comes before Moses on the mountain as he's given Moses the law, and God comes down and he, he encompasses Moses in a cloud, and God declares who he is. God doesn't need someone else to do it. God declares who he is. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God's grace is God being who God is. What might it look like? What might it be like when you encounter this grace? God's pursuing grace. Maybe life events have brought you to a place where you're really beginning to reflect on the purpose of your life. You see, in my life, Jesus was working in my plans, uh, especially in college, my plans that were disrupted. I thought they were disrupted by man, and, and my plans were going to foot that guy I believed God had in place. But, but it took me a while to realize and to actually acknowledge that God was graciously working to have my heart. Maybe you've begun questioning whether the hard times you've been experiencing are perhaps God's opportunity to call you to love him with everything. That's grace. Maybe you're simply here today hearing this message. That's God's grace. It's no accident or coincidence. For many of you, this day is God's provenient grace reaching out to you one more time. Perhaps you've encountered a particular person that turns your heart towards God, the things of God. That's grace. It might come across as a message from a friend or a family member concerning your soul and eternal destiny. That's grace. Maybe it's someone in your life group or a close community that calls something out in your life that you've tried to justify or are simply blind to. That's grace. Maybe it's a really hard conversation with your spouse or your child that God uses to humble you and turn your heart towards him in repentance. That's grace. It might be that still, small voice today that's revealing sin in your life that you're worshiping rather than worshiping God alone. That's grace. Maybe you begin thinking in your heart, it's time to make some changes. That's grace. Maybe you feel guilty for the things you've done. That's grace. And maybe today you desire a new life. That's grace. And you see, although this provenient grace is extended to all people everywhere, it's not saving grace. 
It's the grace of God that prepares us for the possibility of salvation based upon whether we respond positively towards it. We can receive it and repent in faith or we can reject it and revile against God. The question then becomes, how will you respond today? Rejection or repentance and faith in Jesus? There is only one way under heaven in which humanity might be saved from the penalty of their sin and the power of their sin in their lives. And that way is not a code of ethics or an adherence to a particular law or trying your best to be a good person. That way is a person. That person declared, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except by me. And that person has a name and that name is Jesus. You see, Jesus went to the cross, he was crucified, and his blood was shed. He died a shameful death for my sins, yes, the worst ones, and for yours, the worst ones. To ultimately defeat the power of sin and the devil, and this happened long before we would ever acknowledge his name. He was buried, but on the third day, he was resurrected to new life. Literally, so you and I can be too. He made the first move. He made the first move in his pursuit of you and I. Charles Spurgeon says this, the great preacher said, remember that God is not the God of uniformity, though he is of union and peace. He may lead you at once into joy and peace, as Nathaniel, who said, soon as he saw Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. God, he may and doubtless has been blessing you through his grace from your birth. But he needs not plunge you many days in cold, dark waters of conviction to wash away your sin. The blood of Christ at once can cleanse from all sin. If we confide your soul to him, believe Therefore, and you are at once justified and at peace with God. You can choose to turn from sin and towards Jesus today. You can choose to come to him today. You can choose life more abundantly today. Why? It's not because you deserve it. It's not because we've earned it. It's only because of his merciful kindness. His grace that has gone before this moment It's pursued us and led our hearts towards true repentance and remorsefulness for our sin that will ultimately lead us to spiritual death. You see, before you and I could make the choice today, God was making a way. And so I offer you a choice today. Life and death before you receive the consequences for disobedience. I'm waving the lantern of grace. He stands ready to save you. Come just as you are. His grace has made it possible. What will your response be to his compassionate, pursuing grace today? Would you stand with me this morning? This is an invitation, it's a choice. His provenient grace reaches out in many ways.
And so as we sing this song, as, as we worship, as we declare, this is an opportunity to respond. These altars up here, they're used for prayer. You take a posture of humility when you kneel. And so during this song, if you wanna respond positively, if you wanna respond positively to God's provenient grace that's reaching out to you, you can kneel at the altar. You can kneel at your chair. If kneeling is too hard, you can simply sit. Bury your face in your hands. Respond to his grace today in your life. These are the words we're gonna sing. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you with compassion, love and power. Come ye thirsty to the fountain, come and find his goodness here. True belief and true repentance, every grace brings you near. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.